Welcome to Liars and Gentlemen Podcast. This podcast is a group of guys that known each other for about 10, 12 years. Uh, we love to get together, talk about sports, uh, have some good laughs, and uh, we, we tend to tell a lot of good fishing stories in that uh, we don't let facts get in the way of a great story. Um, there's about eight of us that get together uh, from time to time in, in this group of mix, mix and match as we uh, record these each week. Um, but uh, we're all liars here. And as we bring people in, we'll introduce you to some gentlemen. Uh, my name is Brian. I've been an educator for uh, 12 years, uh, coach sports uh, each of those years, and uh, look forward to hearing from all of our uh, listeners out there and getting to uh, interview uh, guests each week. Brady? My name is Brady. Um, like, like Brian just said, we've all been friends for a long time, know a whole lot about each other. We decided this would be kind of fun to – get everybody together. Um, I'm an attorney. I've been practicing law for, I guess it'll be 11 years um, coming up this, this fall. And um, I bowled a 287 in my law school bowling league. So if you can beat that, you're doing pretty good by yourself. Our next uh, host here is Curtis. Hey, I'm Curtis. Uh, I am in law enforcement and have been for uh, going on 15 years. Happy to know this great group of guys. A lot of good times and a lot of laughs and fun stories. Fun fact about me is I rode bulls all through high school and three years in an amateur professional rank after that. Hey, I'm Joe. Count beans for a living. Big Titans fan. Big UK fan. Friends with all these people. Happy to be here. Right. Next up, Terrace. What's up, listeners? Let's see. I go back uh... – Man, we're going on almost 20 years with some of these guys. Family with, with one of them, and I like to think of them as all, all of you guys as brothers. What's up, guys? <laughs> Let's see. I got uh, one regional championship with uh, the Cuz right there in baseball in high school and went on to play collegially uh, at Western, so I decided that was a bad idea. Big topper fan. Go Western. Tops on top. That's what we like to talk about around here and looking forward to uh, seeing where this podcast goes. All right, David. All right. My name's Dave. I'm a project manager for a road construction company here in town. Uh, big baseball guy, played collegiately as well. Go way back with Terrace, and he was the only kid I would ever throw a change up to in Little League. Big Titans fan, Pirates fan, unfortunately, and tops. And last but not least uh, is our, our man, Chris. See Breezy here coming in hot from Bowling Green. Go way back with these guys, you know, all the way back to elementary school, food fights, Little League baseball, as good as it gets with these guys. I'm a huge Tops fan, go Tops, all sports. little outlier here, I'm a UNC fan, go Heels, going to be better next year. But, man, looking forward to this. Well, hell, they can't get any worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. True, true. <laughs> so now that you've met us all, we're not experts on anything. Uh, but we like to share our opinions about everything. And the hot topic this week has been the NFL draft last night, first round. And, you know, guys, there's a lot lot that was different in 2020 draft. What's your takes on this? Uh, different seeing people in their living rooms and not the green room. You know, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with, we all know who the big winner is. And that's all the GMs. I mean, can you believe some of the setups those dudes had? I mean, from Jerry Jones being on a $250 million yacht to Cliff Kingsbury sitting in what looked like a, I don't even know what, a, a model home somewhere out there with a fire pit going and his 
pool house and those outside grill. I mean, these guys, it's, it's really, uh, does it really matter who won and lost a draft when you're living a life like that? You know, I, I agree with that, but I, but I think there's um, the Miami Dolphins had. I, I mean, I'm, there was thirty what two picks in the first round, and I think they had ninety two picks that I counted. They they, they picked they picked Mike. I thought it was kind of almost embarrassing. They, they literally picked an entire team. So I don't know what they're going to do. With them. They definitely used the time for ninety two picks. Yeah. And didn't they draft the Georgia running back at one point in time, then it got pulled off the board, and then they got another opportunity, and they still didn't draft him again? I mean, how would you feel to be that guy? That sucks. That'd be pretty rough. I agree. The, um, I thought the, the concept of having the cameras all over the place w- was neat. It, instead of having, you know, you watch the typical green room and there are all the guys sitting around and all that stuff. Like uh, Joe Burrow was sitting at home with his, with his dad and his mom on the couch. And I, I just kind of thought it was kind of cool to see it that way. I'm, I'm just kind of a fan of what they've done this year. The thing I found the funniest all night long, uh, if you made it to the 32nd pick, they had the super fan board up behind Goodell. And I think there were three of the chief spots of the super fans that didn't make it to their pick. It was just the logo. I mean, how are you a super fan and not make it to your pick? Well, let's be honest. Andy Reid's wife didn't even make it to that pick. So what do you, how do you expect the super fan to? <laughs> she was out at like literally 10 30 i mean gone seeing all the gms homes you know and uh along with burrow sitting home with his parents seeing what these kids come from man it's pretty cool to see where they come from then you go down to nashville and you see straight mullet fest with uh <laughs> with the titans it well yeah. guys do y'all remember the draft where brady quinn waited like all night in the draft room am i thinking right at least this setup nobody had that happen to him Does anybody got any other thoughts on the draft are y'all happy with the Titans pick, the offensive tackle the, the, from Georgia? I like the guy. We, you know, we lost Conklin, so I was happy to see them get somebody in from yeah. a high-caliber school but has always had a really good running game and has a great offensive line coach. So I'm happy to see them go after that. Yeah, I'm sure he's athletic. I hope, I hope he does well. I hope he's like Conklin. Speaking of that kid, we might be able to get somebody on to tell us a little bit about that kid. I think maybe we have a connection to some Georgia football. I think uh, maybe that's one of our next interviews. Is it the worst kid? Was that that was the one? The guy he he jumped out of a swimming pool. Yeah, flat footed in a swimming pool. He jumped out of three and a half foot water swimming pool. The kid weighs like three hundred and sixty pounds, and he's just standing there at the edge of the pool, and he jumps out. <laughs> Golly, Dave can't even touch in a three and a half foot pool. No shit, man. That's like nose deep for me, man. <laughs> then you talk about, uh, you know, uh, the big ticket from the cards, go cards, Mackay Becton. I didn't know they made humans that big. I mean, he's almost as big as the damn state of Kentucky. He is enormous. Uh, it is, it's incredible to, to see these big guys have the footwork and the athleticism that they have. It's, 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 it's kind of scary, to be honest. I mean, if that kid keeps his weight down, I mean, there's no telling what he'll do. So if you want to talk about guys that are just unbelievably athletic coming out of high school and maybe not getting a Division One scholarship to play, you guys are going to love the interview that we have. Uh, we got a chance to interview ABA Udo Adoma. He plays handball for the USA national team. Now he just mainly deals with uh, the, the beach side of the handball. But the guy is an absolute – just monster. Uh, he, he he grew up playing all kinds of different sports. Realized there was an opportunity for him to get into handball, and said, "Well, I'll use my athleticism to see where this takes me." 
And uh, if you guys get an opportunity and you got a few minutes, go in there, go into YouTube, type in the handball ninja, or you can also type in cerebral prince and you're going to be amazed by, by what you see in this. It's just, it's unreal. This guy's awesome. He gave us some time. Uh, fortunately to sit down with him and, and talk about the travels and his life experience and, and where that opportunity is taking him. He's a special, uh, special individual. That's for sure. We'll throw those links into our video notes, our podcast notes down here at the bottom. Just going to follow up on that. I mean, not only the just extreme athleticism talent that he has in, in so many different sports that, and he touches on that in the interview, but this is a good, the guy is, is extremely humble. And I mean, just appreciates the opportunity and his knowledge. I mean, the guy is committed to being his best. In my opinion, the first round win was the Chiefs uh, picking my man Clyde from LSU. Uh, first running back taken, not really on anybody's radar. And uh, we all know uh, our, you know, Andy Reid and that system, um, they build winners. And so, you know, I think uh, that was a, a strategy pick for them. I think it's going to work out. I mean, he's entering into an organization where, you know, he's going to have to do a lot of work. But, come on, he's playing with Patrick Mahomes. That that core of receivers that they've got, he's got some big things coming for him. So, that that's my one pick. I mean, I know that goes against our uh, live Twitter follow of the draft. And, um Brady's bold prediction that no running backs will be taken, but I think that was a big win for the Chiefs. So, looking forward to seeing this year, provided it happens. One scary thing about them picking <laughs> that guy, just immediate flashbacks to Andy Reid's days in, in Philadelphia when he had Darren Sproles. That's immediately who I thought of and how Andy Reid can build – so many check downs into their offense for the running backs that can come out of the backfield and catch the ball well. And there's no doubt that this kid can do that. It'll be really interesting to see how that one plays out. And I think it'll be very favorable for them. So at this time, we're going to go to our interview, which was uh, recorded a couple of days ago. And we will go ahead and introduce our special guest for the first episode of Liars and Gentlemen. Today's special guest is a two-sport USA athlete with experience in sports modeling and appearances in commercials and print campaigns for Nike, Adidas, New Era, and Powerade. He has been a member of the USA handball team and competed in the Pan American uh, Championships with Team USA in handball. He is also a member of the USA Beach Handball Men's National Team, and in April of 2016, he led Team USA to its first title since 1987 in beach handball. He also plays touch rugby for the LA Royals touch rugby team and the USA Touch Rugby Club Men's Open National Team. While playing for the LA Royals, he helped win the 2017 National Championship. On Team USA, he was the leading try scorer at the 2019 World Cup. Today's guest for Episode 1 of Liars and a Gentleman is none other, none other than ABA Jeremy Udo Udoma. We, I appreciate kind of the introduction, my man. We introduced ourselves earlier, and uh, so we're you know we're a group of guys like talk about sports and uh, came across handball and uh, kind of got you know saw some stuff from that that you you liked us on Twitter. We came across handball. Now we're all fans, man, because you you I can't even count to seven twenty, and you've done a seven twenty in sport of <laughs> like that. And that was that was insane. So. So tell us a little bit about yourself, buddy. Uh, I mean, you essentially covered it. Uh, was born in Los Angeles, California, uh, 93. 
I grew up playing typical American sports, basketball, baseball, football. Um, yeah, after high school, I played in a variety of sports in college, just on the club level. And one of those sports was handball that I discovered after the Beijing Olympics, during, sorry, after, during the Beijing Olympics in 2008. And I started playing while I was still in high school and then went to university where I continued to play on the club level. And after my sophomore year, I had an opportunity to try out for Team USA while I was 19 years old and was just hoping to make the junior national team, made the senior national team. And everything just took off from there. As you mentioned, played in 2014 Pan American Championships right after I turned 21 years old. Been representing Team USA since that year, 2014. Also got the opportunity to play touch rugby for Team USA, uh, 2018-2019. Played at the World Cup in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. But I'm essentially a sports guy. Yeah, I grew up, uh, sports was my first love. I grew up in a really academic family, but I was the one athlete in the family. And wasn't by any means a prodigy. You know, when I graduated high school, I didn't receive a sports scholarship to play anything on the collegiate level, which ended up being a blessing in disguise as it allowed me to pursue other sports that most Americans don't get to pursue. And in the past five years, I've played in 15 different countries across five continents in two sports and just got an experience, a journey of a lifetime, really. What a, what a story. Like, it was like the American sports dream right there. You know, it's, you hear it so many times. You the kids that come out and, you know, maybe play a little bit of everything, right? And then yeah, okay. by some means, you just manage to, to find yourself in a position where I'm going to go give this handball thing a shot. And next thing you know, you're traveling the entire world getting to, getting to do this, getting to live this dream. That's, that's so awesome. Congratulations yeah. on doing that, though. That, that's, uh, that's really <clears throat> says a lot about uh, determination uh who you are in general but uh so congrats to start that. off with that the second thing i want to go ahead and bring up um so so what is uh professor charles xavier like in real life because i'm pretty sure you're like a mutant handball freak like that's what we're going to call you, you know, the <laughs> you've got to know professor charles xavier i mean because that's essentially you gotta I mean, be an x man i watched you uh, he's ambidextrous <laughs> He spins 360, 720, whichever way, left or right. I mean, he hangs in the air forever. He's got to be an X-Man. That is, that's, that's what I'm thinking right now. Uh, appreciate the kudos. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that I wasn't by any means born that way. I don't know. It feels as if I got a really unique opportunity as an athlete where I got to get into the ground level of a sport. Not that handball is a new sport, but because it wasn't a particularly big sport in the States. Uh, I, I was a non division one athlete who made the starting lineup of a national team relatively quickly. And that's not really a knock on the guys that I played with at the time. There just wasn't too many Americans playing handball. And with that gave me the opportunity to really cultivate a unique skill set. Uh, my ambidexterity story is a whole nother podcast in and of itself, but it's something I started working on. Uh, the year I got into handball when I was 15 years old. I mean, I grew up for the most part, your typical right-hander and started working on my left because handball, unlike a lot of other sports, similar to baseball in a way, how the lefties generally play on the right side of the field. Like your first baseman will be lefties and your righties will be like on the right side, closer to third base. It's a similar thing in handball where you want to 
release with your hand as close to the center of the court as possible to maximize your angles. So your lefties will be on the right side of the court and your righties will be on the left side of the court. And when I got into handball, I was 15 and I learned that I realized that my odds of going pro would be significantly higher as a lefty than as a righty. Cause there's somewhere between eight to 12 times as many righties as there are lefties in the world. And I figured there'd be eight to 12 times less competition first a professional spot on the right wing versus the left wing and so when I got into handball that became an incentive for me to really work on my left hand and when I made my team USA debut it was as the starting right wing which is the right wing yeah you had to be able that's that's what helped you right because you yeah weren't naturally that way I read that in an article somewhere where they said that was your first break was was the right wing but it helped you to be left-handed and you could play both both wings and so you were able to step in that spot with somebody Guess somebody got hurt or something. Is that what yeah? Happened? So yeah. one of the lefties on the squad in 2014 had a knee injury before we had a friendly. At the time, there were two lefties on the squad. One of them got hurt, and so I got to move in as the starting right wing. And the starting right wing moved to right back, and I played pretty well in my debut. But that debut was an opportunity I got because one of the lefties got hurt, and it was like, "Hey, baby has been training with his left hand. Uh, let's give him a shot." And I played well that game. And a couple of months later, I got the call up for that summer's Pan American Championship. That was my first international tournament with the guys. We were in Canelones, Uruguay for that. And that was back in 2014. It's weird to talk about these dates. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. But, uh, yeah, 2014. Was that, was that after Auburn for you? Was that like what, after you moved? Yeah, uh, so you- our, yeah, so our indoor national team residency program used to be based at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. Okay. And that was from 2013 to 2018. So I was in the residency program at Auburn when I got my call up for the Pan American Championships. Now, uh, Terrence, you know, brought it up here about uh, the multitasking, the ambidextrian. I mean, uh, the we watched the print cerebral uh, YouTube video <laughs> with the ping pong balls and the rubber mallets, man. Man, and, like, that was over a decade explain ago. Explain that, man. Man, uh, you know, when – I made the decision to work towards being an ambidextrous athlete. As I mentioned, a big incentive for that was trying to become proficient with my left hand for handball. But handball aside, basketball was my first love. And if you yeah. imagine – You're speaking to some Kentucky boys here. We understand. I know. Right? Like, if you could imagine if Steph Curry and James Harden were morphed into one player, that's what I dreamed of becoming. Like, back when I was 15 and – started working towards my ambidexterity. I had this idea that if I could hit step back threes with, with both hands, it'd be such a huge advantage. And I knew that it would take an absurdly long time to work on, but I was convinced that it was something that was possible. You know, playing baseball, there were a number of right-handers who learned how to hit left-handed or hit switch. And so I knew that it was possible to be an ambidextrous athlete. I just knew it'd be really difficult. It would take a long time. And, you know, what helped in me developing both my left and my right is doing a lot of those multitasking drills just so I could get reps with both hands. And it also helped develop other facets of your, my athleticism that normally you don't necessarily get to develop if you just do things on one side. So one, it was a means of getting in more reps in a less amount of time as opposed to just doing things with my right and just doing things with my left. And I found that there was a good athletic carryover, particularly in team ball sports, basketball, handball, things that involved court vision, that multitasking training 
had a positive carryover too. And that's something I still do to this day. I still do variations of those mallet and hammer tennis ball drills in accordance with my normal handball training. I just find it to be a very efficient mind and body exercise. Yeah. And uh, multitasking, having to do something with court vision, because the first video that we watched, I was like, this dude's the LeBron James of handball. Like, okay, given it's our first introduction, <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's exactly what I said. But I mean, given this is our introduction, pretty much to handball. I mean, I'm watching you. You're, you're like staring down the the goalie. I'm, I'm guessing that's what we call him because that's what but he has yeah, a goal goalie. He's goalkeeper. Yeah. Yeah. So you got yeah. the goalkeeper, and you're staring him down, and you're looking off defenders, and you got a guy that's coming crashing down the left side, and you're floating him a ball perfectly on spot. And I'm like. This guy's got unbelievable court vision. Like, it's, it's, uh, you're not just a scorer, right? So. <laughs> no. Um, like, kind of like LeBron, I'm a fast-first player. Um, and you know, I grew up playing point guard in basketball, and I always prided myself in my playmaking and my perspicacity uh, as, as a player. Actually, the most recent World Beach Games, I led the comp and assist. Uh, not to say that I can't score. 2016 Venezuela knows yeah. that you can score. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they know. Uh, yeah, yeah. 2016 Venezuela team. They know. They know. Yeah. yeah. No, so they I saw. Know. I think the last, like, the newest clip was you're you're playing like more of the center of center of the court, right? Is that is that position? Yeah. That you're gonna um, start moving in towards moving forward. Yeah. So this past year, yeah, from 2016 to 2018, I I was a wing primarily and was primarily used as a scoring threat and. We realized that while our offense was world-class, our defense just had problems. And the guy who was our center back, who was our playmaker, our point guard, uh, we made the decision to move him to the defensive side of the ball because he's a really athletic dude. Shout out to my man, Jacob. He just turned 25, just had a birthday. Uh, but love that guy. And we kind of recognized that between myself, him, and then uh, Drew, and the three of us, we're kind of the young core of our national team moving forward. We realized that you know, some combination of us had to play defense because us just playing offense and having these shootouts where it's a super high scoring game to a super high scoring game and we're not winning games, you know, just moving forward, like one of us had to move to the defensive side of the ball. That required Jacob moving to defense. I moved towards the center and I'm working with two lesser experienced wings, but they're doing a phenomenal job. Charlie, the guy that I throw a lot of alley-oops to on the left, dude's a beast. And then uh, Alex, we call him the wizard. Uh, He's on my right and I've been able to work with them over the past year and foster a good relationship with them while Jacob is bolstering up our defense. So I think moving forward, I'll be that guy in the middle uh, as opposed to being on the wing like I was the first, you know, five, six years of my international career. Yeah, man, speaking of Corona, like, how's that impacted things for you guys, like, as far as uh, your season or uh, training? I mean, everything's canceled indefinitely. you know, for us, we were supposed to be, have a world championships in Italy end of June. And that technically hasn't been canceled by the International Handball Federation, but the general consensus is that's going to get canceled. I just yeah. can't see that potentially happening, particularly in Italy, uh, within the next two months. Unfortunately, that means that we've got to train as if we're still going to play in two months. Uh, you know, their hope is that this all boils over, but by the looks of things, things are just getting worse. Uh, but we still still train as if, you know, we're competing in world championships every two months. Unfortunately, uh, we are stuck at home, and so we don't get to practice together anymore. Our national team guys, uh, you know, club competitions have been canceled as well. Uh, so we, it's a lot of Zoom calls uh, with each other, you know, in our group chat. You know, we're always talking game film. 
and we do like zoom workouts together and so we stay connected through that means it's just it's just a different dynamic when you don't actually get to train with your guys and you have to do all of your training at home and for me it's just been a lot of solo workouts at the crib and there's a park right about my place there you know get some fresh air and there aren't too many people and can still practice social distancing but I'm still training as if you know I'm going to compete in two months at, at a world championship and you know I, I talk film with my guys as if we're going to compete at a world championship in two months and you know, we can't necessarily let our foot off the gas even though the situation at hand is a bit up in the air and we don't necessarily know when we're going to play. We don't necessarily know what the new normal is going to be as far as, you know, sports and if fans will be at games and there's so many things that are up in the air. And uh, the reality of it is we're all in the same boat. So for as much as I'd like to complain, like as a world, like we're all facing the same thing. I'm just, I'm grateful that, you know, I've got a roof over my head and I'm not necessarily worried about my financial situation. Like I've we got a lot of blessings to, to really count, you know, as, as far as how bad things could be with this going on. So, well, you know, with, with, with COVID, you know, there's been a few, uh, I guess you'd call them uh, just social trends going on outside yeah, of of right here. Uh, the two big ones that we've been talking about, you know, as our, our group of buddies here are, um, the Tiger King. Okay. You've been, have you watched it? I actually haven't watched it. I'm one of like the 2% of Americans who hasn't yeah, man. watched it. All right. <laughs> no, watch it. Back on just to hear your tech. not watch it. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> no, he's not. I'm not going to let him watch it. More I'm, importantly. Let's talk about the important one. Yes. The last, the last dance. dance. The Chicago Bulls. Man, you know, the crazy thing is, is I'm, I mentioned to you guys, I'm from LA, right? And yeah. so I'm, I was, you're young. you're young. Yeah, I was, I was young in LA. So you were a Kobe fan growing up, right? Huge Kobe fan growing up. Rest in peace. I yeah. understand. Yeah, no. Man, so nothing against Mike, but Uh-oh. when I was growing up, it was always, is Kobe better than MJ? And just being from mm-hmm. LA and being a Kobe fan, I'm like, of course Kobe's better than MJ. So I hated Michael. <laughs> yeah, hated yeah. Michael. It's like, you're trying to compete with my Kobe? Nah, nah. You, 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 weren't that, you weren't that good but with with the last dance and I'm, I'm older now and I can appreciate greatness you know even if you play for a team that I don't necessarily like you know for example I hated LeBron the first half of his career and I'm not just saying I like him now because he's a Laker but uh, when you get older like a lot of those rivalries seem kind of petty and you just appreciate elite athletes for what they can do LeBron's a, my God, LeBron's a guy I have so much respect for. I don't think people recognize what it's like to have to go through as much scrutiny as he has from when he was in high school. Like he was under the spotlight and I'm I'm fortunate that I play a sport that people in my own country don't know. So when I'm home in the States, I can live my life as a normal guy pretty peacefully. I can go to a target and not be mobbed by fans. Like I don't have to deal with a lot of the perils of fame and I get to go travel the globe and, you know, have my you know, 15 seconds of fame where I sign autographs and take selfies and get to experience that. But I'm not constantly under the microscope and I don't have to deal with that pressure. And uh, I can only imagine like what it would be like to try to continue to cultivate your game and stay level-headed if you have to go through something like what a LeBron or a Kobe went through. So I have so much respect for those guys. But particularly on MJ and The Last Dance, uh, saw the first two episodes and phenomenal absolutely phenomenal i'm like i'm looking forward to the next day like everybody else is yeah and yeah. 
the thing is, after watching that, I have so much more respect for Scotty Pippen. I think that was my biggest. I mean, he, he's a Hall of Fame player, oh. one of the best of his generation, and I don't think he gets the due credit for all that he did for that team. And especially hearing about like the whole Jerry Krause deal, and I was like, Yo, Scotty, like, <laughs> man, and that contract. I mean, I, I've forgotten how bad that contract was. Good lord, it's absurd, absolutely absurd. Uh, but AJ, this is Chris. Just a question though. You talking about some? Let's say idols that you looked up to, but let's segue into that just a little bit, just a little tidbit of who did you look up to growing up? I mean, obviously you multiple sport, um, and and you've you've done extremely well in a lot of those sports, and now you're in handball. Like you said, United States doesn't know handball, but who did you look up to growing up? Uh, just generally as an athlete, or specifically in handball? No, 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 as an athlete. Just as an athlete, uh, I mean, basketball, basketball was my first love. Basketball, baseball were the first two sports that I played, you know, played soccer and football as well. Uh, as a basketball player, Dodgers fan? I'd say uh, Angels fan. I'm a Dodgers fan for sure. Like Darren Erstad, Mo Vaughn, those were my guys when, when I first got into baseball. Huge Angels fan growing up, like Troy Percival. Man, it's, it's weird talking about those guys because they're all retired now. There's a shout out right there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was watching baseball when he was four years old, apparently, because those dudes are old. <laughs> those dudes are really old. Man. No, um, I started playing baseball when I was six. I was born in 93, so like late 90s, early 2000s. Huge Angels fan. Uh, but oddly enough, the athletes that I looked up to growing up were all on rival teams of the teams I rooted for. Being from East L.A., I'm from Diamond Bar. Um, if you guys know Alex Morgan, same hometown as her. That's a little bit closer to Anaheim than it is L.A. proper. So I was a Lakers, Lakers fan, and then I was an Anaheim fan whenever possible. So a fan of the Mighty Ducks. As far as the athletes I looked up to, uh, as in basketball, I was a huge, huge Allen Iverson fan for sure. Um, and then Steve Nash. How tall are you? I'm 6'1". Maybe a half. I'm 6'1". Okay. So you look I'm taller. A, you look taller out there. Yeah, I'll take it. No, I'm, I'm the second shortest guy. I'm the second he, shortest guy on the national team. Yeah, he, he jumps higher than everybody else. <laughs> that, that might just be it. <laughs> but no, I'm six. Can, can you dunk? Yeah, I can dunk. Can you, there should be some videos. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you you've got some hops. I figured you could dunk. So I mean, yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. But no, uh, so like Allen Iverson, Steve Nash. You know, he was also point guard, so I looked up to other point guards. I'd say AI and Steve Nash in basketball. Ichiro Suzuki, who played for the Seattle Mariners, like I said, on a rival team of my team. I actually was a big fan of a lot of Seattle Mariners. King Griffey Jr. I mean, mm. Griffey was just that, yeah. just that dude. Yeah. Um, you know, Griffey, Rod, really Ichiro. Ichiro had a big influence in how I approached sports, just how he took care of his body, the longevity that he had. For him being 160 pounds soaking wet and being able to hit as hard as he could, um, but still be a finesse player. Like, I don't know if you've seen Ichiro take BP, but he can hit bombs all That's day. That's what you ask him to do. He can hit bombs. Yeah. Exactly. But he's going to slap some singles into left field and hit 320, and he's going to move on, right? Exactly. And yeah. that had a huge influence yeah. on me, just to see that you know, just because you have power, that may not be the most efficient way to play. And, you know, he was one of the first people who made me really look at how to become an efficient athlete. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, home runs look really sexy, but if I can have a higher batting average being a slap hitter, maybe that's something I should consider. And just the way he took, took care of his body, the longevity he had, he was still playing at 45. Um, he had a cannon of an arm. You know, and to see somebody who wasn't super muscular, 
be as athletic and powerful as he was made me really look at kind of the kinesiology and the physiology of the human body and different biomechanics and seeing like, you know, him and Tim Winsicum uh, of the Giants, seeing how do these little guys play at such a world-class level? Because I was a little guy in basketball and in baseball. Uh, you know, as a, as a football player, you know, I was a big Mike Vick fan, you know, before the whole dogfighting deal. I'm, I'm still a Mike Vick fan. Deion Sanders fan as a multi-sport athlete, uh, inspired me to be a you know, multi-sport athlete and take up the opportunity I had with USA Touch Rugby, you know, after seeing, you know, Dion and what he did and how he went about his game. Uh, I've really drawn inspiration from a variety of athletes, uh, as you can tell, not just um, within major American sports, but across the globe. I'm a huge Irving Ingepeth fan. He's an outside hitter in volleyball. He's a French volleyball player, and I wasn't a big volleyball fan growing up. Uh, but there are a lot of similarities between volleyball and beach handball as far as how we approach on offense and how a setter sets up his hitters. Like that dynamic is very similar. So I've been studying a lot of volleyball the past couple of years and Irvin Ingepeth is, is one of my favorite volleyball players. I, I make a note to watch his highlights on YouTube when I can. Um, I've gotten really into parkour, like chase tag. Chase tag is my favorite sport to watch. I've mentioned this in other interviews. It's super exciting to watch because it's these you know, world-class track tours, like navigating an obstacle course. And there's a lot of strategy involved as far as how you manipulate the course. And I find it really stimulating to watch. Uh, and I'm, I'm just kind of a person who tries to draw inspiration from as many different sports as possible and bring all of that into my handball game. Because handball really is an amalgam of, you know, basketball, football, baseball, all the other sports that we as Americans know put into one sport, that's handball. And so in my approach to the game, I try to draw inspiration from as wide a variety of sources as I can. Amalgam? Is that what he said? No, Amalgam. it's basically gotta, a group. A group. Yeah, no, we gotta we gotta look it up. We're from Kentucky. We don't, we don't have that kind of dialogue. Yeah, we don't use words like that here, man. <laughs> that we are geez. we are wearing shoes and socks, but it's just because we don't have to add or subtract. Right <laughs> yeah, man. When you were doing that multiplying, hitting those ping pong balls, I was like, this is unbelievable, man. I was like, man, man, that guy can do math and use both his hands. <laughs> Crazy, man. Uh, we, just, we just had about twos and threes, right? That was in junior high school. That's all that matters, right? I mean, man. No, like, Sorry, but, like, fun fact I was a competitive athlete in junior high school and high school, and I just dropped the M when I graduated high school. Now I'm just now. Another one. Well, that. Yeah. all right. You said something in that in your blurb about uh, in your response to um, the athletes. You said, you know, you didn't always look at the sexiest athletes, but. I mean, there's YouTube clips of you doing 360s and 720s. <laughs> so how'd that even, like, how's that even come about? Like, I mean, was uh, it just a reaction or had you been something that you, like, planned out? And, like, I, this is the game, I'm doing it. No, uh, the very first time I did 360, I still remember it. We were playing Puerto Rico uh, at the Beardings Coliseum in Auburn. We were down by four. And we got to stop. Goalkeeper pushes the ball up the court. I'm playing left wing this game, or at least this half of this game. I actually started that game on the right wing. But I'm playing left wing, and I'm, I'm anticipating a pass that's coming to me from my left back, but his pass is just a little bit too far to my right, and my body's moving to the left. So as I catch his pass, instead of trying to fight my current clockwise upper body rotation, I just went with it and did a reverse 360. Goalkeeper gave me a little bit of space on the near post and it went in. And I'd never once thought to take that shot. It was just one of those adapting situation 
type of things. And since I've gotten to beach handball, it's become kind of my signature deal. Uh, you know, in beach handball in particular, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but one of the differences between indoor and field handball versus beach handball is you get two points for a spectacular goal. So if you do a 360 or if you do an alley-oop, you get two points. If you just throw the ball to net, you get one. So that 360 that I did back in 2014 for the first time is now an established technique that we do when we look to take. And it's not just like for shits and giggles. It's because it's worth an extra point. And so we work on our mechanics to make sure that we have body control while we're spinning and jumping and moving in different directions. So one of the draws to beach handball in particular is it's a really safe sport that allows athletes to perform spectacular maneuvers. And part of the reason why I've kind of put myself in position to be a pioneer for beach handball in particular is that I think of all the things that Americans like in sports, and I look at the current wave of where American sports are going, I think it's going towards beach handball. It's a high scoring game, uh, very spectacular actions, very low incidence of injury. Uh, with the scoring system, it's very upset friendly because you have two 10 minute halves and the halves are split scoring like in volleyball. So if my team's playing your team and then the first half I win 30 to zero in the second half, you win 15 to 14, it goes to a shootout. And so if you win the shootout, even though I outscored you by a lot, you still win the game. And that kind of scoring system make the, makes beach handball very upset friendly, which I think is something that a lot of Americans like. Even if you watch a game and you know that Team A is clearly better than Team B, there's still a good chance of an upset. Beach handball is not the kind of sport that you're going to leave to beat the traffic early for it. And just looking at, you know, all of those elements that's really inspired me to really try to push Beach Handball in particular in the States and across the globe. So at the beginning of this, before we started out, we said, you know, it's liars and a gentleman, right? So we're all liars and you're the gentleman since you're on here. But at the end of the show, you're also going to join the liars group. So you're going to present us with two <laughs> truths and a lie. And we're going to try to determine which of those three statements is a lie. So let's, are you, are you ready? Do you need to take a, you know, take a 30 second timeout and think about it or are we, we good to go? Nah, let's, let's just do it. Let's get it. All right, let's do it. Let's ride. All right. Two truths and a lie. Uh, statement number one, I was on the practice squad for my university basketball team. That's statement number one. Statement number two, my grandfather was a prime minister in Africa. And my other grandfather was a king in Africa. That's statement number two. And then statement number three is I've played a sport in two countries and at least two countries in six continents. Well, you've picked three good ones. Well, <clears throat> I could have sworn earlier he said five continents. I think I'm five continents early. I think I'm going to say you were not. From what I read up on you, I thought you went to Oregon. You said Oregon State, right? That's where you went yeah, to Oregon State. I thought you went to Oregon State because you liked the club handball there, and you. I know you loved basketball in high school, but I read that you played multiple sports. Yeah, in that. He played basketball. He, he was on. He was on the practice squad of Oregon State. I'm gonna. I believe that one is the truth. 
I think I'm gonna go with that one. <clears throat> I don't know. I know, and he's first, he's first generation American, right? And his family was, I don't know, the region of Africa that you're from. The prime minister and a king within your background. That's that's a lot. Uh, shit. Did he it says two sports on six continents? Is that what the statement was? Two countries. Two countries. Six continents. There's. I can't make. Doesn't make any sense. Is it two countries in each continent you're talking about on all yeah. six continents? Yeah. Every continent other than Antarctica. I'll specify that. I'd be impressed wow. about Antarctica if you played there, by the way. That would be impressive. <laughs> yeah, the, the beach handball in Antarctica would be really phenomenal, <laughs> I'm sure. I think we should go with B and say that's the lie. Because if that's the truth, like if that is a true statement, like we got to hear about the prime minister and the king in his back. Yeah, we've completely that's missed that whole segment. <laughs> so I'm going right, to say B, too. I'm going to say B. B is a lie. They're going to be All right. I, yeah. I don't know. No, no, we're all going to be together. We're all going to be together. <laughs> so which one? <laughs> Never mind. All right. Yeah. So you're saying that the prime minister and the king is the lie. I the think that's true, thing. EJ. All right. Okay. So I'm in for number two. For you. As, as hard as that is to believe, that is true. Um, I mother, told you guys that was true. <laughs> <laughs> you not my, my, the practice squad. <laughs> no. Uh, my, mother, my mother's father – uh, was a king in Nigeria, and then my father's what? father was the prime minister of Uganda. Holy crap! Man, that was true. Awesome. You got to leave yeah. with that on your bottom. <laughs> that doesn't really have to do with me. It has to do with my family. That's, That's really so cool, cool though. That's yeah. awesome. No, uh, so the lie, the lie, in fact, is uh, the six continents, two countries. Now, here's the thing. So, it's true that I've Played in two countries and five continents. In North, South, Europe, Oceania. There's like Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, like Oceania. And every so every continent other than Antarctica and Africa, I have traveled to and have played in between handball and rugby. Handball and touch rugby. Uh, right. And then for a hot second, for a hot second, uh, trained to trained at Oregon State my freshman year uh, with the guys and ultimately made the decision to pursue handball. But the lie was uh, the two countries, six continents. is actually two countries and five continents. So it's close. That was, that was so, really good. That's going to be hard to top for you. Yeah, man, that's going to be a high bar <laughs> to reach there, man. <laughs> I'm not going to find anybody else as a king in their background. I mean, good gracious. <laughs> <laughs> the prime minister of Uganda, the king of Nigeria. What in the world? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I uh, appreciate you coming on very much. And it's been a good nah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Like I said, it's always a pleasure for, for me to connect with, with the new audience. And you guys seem like a really cool group of guys. And, and I appreciate uh, just kind of how cordial you guys were with me. And guys ask good questions. Because I've had some interviewers who have asked me some kind of ridiculous questions. But all your questions were insightful. And you guys were really respectful. So I appreciate that. We just came out of our special guest interview. So we're going to move on. Terrace, what are you thinking? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm guessing everybody here watched The Last Dance. The first two, first two episodes were on this past Sunday. I mean, the, the amount of money that that guy has won and lost on a golf course is staggering. Just for the, the podcast purposes, we've all watched, um, you know, at least 
the, the, the episode one and episode two of, of the last dance of Jordan. And so we all have different takes on kind of how it's, um, you know, how, how it was, but, but overall, I think it was a phenomenally like well done documentary. It was, it was well hyped by ESPN. I mean, what a marketing machine ESPN, they hype it. They tell you about it. They televise it. And then they have three or four experts to talk about it on sports center afterwards because there's nothing else happening besides the last dance right now. That's it. For those guys to get that out now, just to, let us all have some sanity and watch one of the, the, the greatest basketball player of all time in his last season with the Bulls and how it all played out behind the scenes. It's just, I, you know, my hat's off to ESPN. Uh, thank you so much for giving this little piece of, of history and this, this nugget to us so that we can all remain sane during this COVID-19 pandemic. I'm probably the only one here that was – not completely sold on Jordan as the greatest. I do think that there's some players that rival his athletic ability, but as far as a well-rounded player, as far as his uh, the the defensive-minded approach that he took, and his sheer competitiveness, and I mean, he was a he was a coach on the floor always. I, I think it wasn't until I saw episode one and two that. You know, I realize, yeah, I mean, he is. He, he, was, he, he was the greatest then. He is the greatest player of all time. I uh, don't think we'll see anybody like that again. I'm having a hard time with Mr. Chris. North Carolina fan. Michael Jordan's not the greatest? What the hell are you thinking? I'm on board, man. I'm on board now. I'm glad you are. You're only I mean, you know, I, I like Brian Daugherty when he was at North Carolina. Was he a good coach? No, he sucked. No, Jordan's the man. Glad you see it now. But let's talk about another guy you'll never see again. Dennis Rodman. What you guys want to talk about? He only wants to talk about North Korea now. I mean, he's, he's big, big friends with Kim Jong-un over there. So he's- I'm going to say one more winner from the last dance was Beef Winnington, man. The Canadian beefcake. I wanted to see more of that guy. Because apparently he soaked up everything and everything that happened. They interviewed him like every 10 minutes. They were like, Beef Winnington, give us your thoughts on this. And he would talk about it. I mean, the guy was unbelievable. So he was another winner from the night. There's no question, in, in my mind, Michael Jordan, best ever. The GOAT, no doubt. And, and you know, it's so many cool stories. You think, you know, you grow up watching Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, the Bulls, epic team and to to be able to kind of get an insight on the behind the scenes you know some of the comments you know Jordan's foot injury they're telling him that he can't play and and you know he refers to a headache and you know it depends on how bad the headache is you know if it would kill you if it took a pill or nine pills and one of them would kill you whatever just really cool stuff to go back and and hear these stories and, and watch some of that stuff. Bray, do you remember seeing Pippen at the hotel at the SEC tournament? Yeah, Joe brought a friend with him to the SEC tournament. It was at a um, – it was in Nashville. But it was at a, like an embassy suites, and Pippen was eating breakfast at the embassy suites. And I spotted him. They didn't believe me, but it was him, and they confirmed it. And one of Joe's friends went up to him was like, can I have an autograph? And Pippen was like, I'm eating breakfast. It's what you get when you make $2 million a year for that long. You gotta, you're got you subject to embassy suites continental breakfast. I mean, 
So one one last topic from this day from the last dance, and I, I think we we should talk about how no one else came out of this looking worse than Jerry Krause. I mean, the guy literally told one of the greatest coaches of NBA history that it doesn't matter if you go 82 and 0, you're not going to have your job next year. This is after, so you have three championships. Jordan sits out for two years. He comes back. You win two more championships. You're going in to the third possible, the second three-peat with a team that can still obviously play with anybody out there. And Krause is throwing out the word rebuild. Like, how different is today's game than yesteryear's game? There's, there's no GM in the world that would have a job nowadays if you had the best player in the world you know, questioning your, your front office moves. Like when I was watching this, this um, documentary, I didn't know anything about much Jerry Krause. I mean, I kept thinking, I have seen this guy somewhere. He's kind of a little skeevy guy that, that has all this stuff to do. And I thought, where have I seen this before where Jordan has taken on this guy? And it was Space Jam because the <laughs> swag hammer of Moron Mountain who got the Monstars to go take on, control of all these guys, that had to be the Krause guy. I mean, it had to be. He, he's this little skeevy dude, has a, like a little cigar, and he's always laughing and stuff, and he's got the Monstars going out to do stuff for him. So you're talking about this, and it just hit me. You know, Jordan obviously had some probably creative uh, input onto the uh, Space Jam filming. Do you think there's a possibility – he intentionally made old Swackhammer resemble old Jerry Krause. The, the resemblance is, is, is uncanny. Well, I got to, I got to group the group. I mean, um, you know, Swackhammer was, was Krause. All right, guys. Um, this is the, the first episode of Liars and Gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here and listening to us. We hope that you'll email us some topics that you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. Also, questions for, um, you know, f- for some of our guests, if, if you can think of some questions, we need to ask somebody. Everything that we do is, is based around the fact that we like to stretch a story every once in a while and uh, two truths and a lie. So please, um, please let us know uh, if you have any kind of input to provide. And uh, we want to thank ABA for being involved with this podcast and, and letting us interview him for the first uh, episode. He took a chance on a few Kentucky boys, and we certainly do appreciate it. So thank you all, the listeners, for taking a chance, too.